Last week, we considered the reign of Asa, who was the third king of the southern kingdom of Judah, which consisted of the tribes of Judah and Benjamin. You may recall that King Asa did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. He removed most, if not all, of the high places and strange gods from the kingdom, including his grandmother's idol, and he even removed her from being queen. He took away the male prostitutes, the Sodomites, out of the land. During ten years of peace that the Lord gave to Asa, he built up his army. Even so, the Ethiopians attacked with an army twice the size of Judah's. Asa cried out to the Lord, who gave Judah the victory over the Ethiopians. You may recall that just six years after that victory, Asa looked to the king of Syria to side with him in order to recover land that had been lost to Israel. As such, he turned to a pagan king for help on that occasion instead of turning to the Lord. The lesson for us was that no matter how peaceful everything may appear to be, like Asa, we should always be on our guard, looking to God to keep building us up in our faith as we prayerfully read his word. Also, unlike Asa, our trust should always be in the Lord. We should not lean on the arm of the flesh in our battles against sin, Satan and the world, but rather we should look to God to give us the victory. Today we shall consider the reign of Jehoshaphat, who was the son of Asa. He too was a good king, in that he removed much, if not all, of the high places and idols out of Judah. Also, he sent his princes and the Levites throughout the cities of Judah, teaching the people from the book of the law of the Lord. However, like his father Asa, Jehoshaphat made ungodly alliances which angered the Lord. Even so, we see gracious words towards the end of the record of King Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 32, where the following is written about him and his father. And he walked in the way of Asa his father and departed not from it doing that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Since the details of the reign of Jehoshaphat occupy four chapters in 2 Chronicles, we can do no more than zoom in on selected verses as we study his life, and God willing, we shall learn some valuable lessons for our own lives. Starting with 2 Chronicles chapter 17. In verses 1 and 2, it is written, And Jehoshaphat his son reigned in his stead and strengthened himself against Israel. And he placed forces in all the fenced cities of Judah and set garrisons in the land of Judah and in the cities of Ephraim, which Asa his father had taken. Jehoshaphat Strengthening himself against Israel, which was steeped in idolatry, involved building up his defences. When you do the arithmetic in the last six verses of chapter 17, verses 14 through to 19, 
you'll see that King Jehoshaphat accumulated just over a million men of war. That's twice the size of the army that Asa his father had prior to the Ethiopians coming out against Judah. Therefore, at least at the beginning of Jehoshaphat's reign, he took all reasonable measures to defend his kingdom against wickedness and remain separate from idolatrous Israel. As it is written in verses 3 and 4, And the Lord was with Jehoshaphat, because he walked in the first ways of his father David, and sought not unto Baalim, but sought to the Lord God of his father, and walked in his commandments, and not after the doings of Israel. Another positive thing was that in the third year of Jehoshaphat's reign, he sent his princes and Levites throughout all the cities of Judah to teach them God's law, and, as it is written in verse 9, And they taught in Judah, and had the book of the law of the Lord with them, and went about throughout all the cities of Judah, and taught the people. As Christians, we should be busy building up our defences so that we don't leave ourselves wide open to attack from the enemy. Each one of us should actively and prayerfully study the scriptures. For example, we all need to study the doctrine of the apostles so that we are able to discern truth from lies. In Colossians chapter 1 verses 9 and 10, the Apostle Paul, speaking on behalf of himself and Timothy, said to the church, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord, unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. The way to be filled with knowledge of his will and to walk worthy of the Lord is to prayerfully study and do the word of God as a church, but also individually as you read the scriptures and you look to God the Holy Spirit to teach you and to reveal to you God's will. When it comes to churches, too many of them have given over their pulpits and various teaching ministries to false teachers. Consequently, Christians who do not study the scriptures for themselves and are flaky with regards doctrine are being tossed to and fro and are being carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning and craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Not all theologians are Christians, but all Christians ought to be theologians. We all need to be biblical Christians. Initially, Jehoshaphat was doing all the right things and the Lord established his kingdom. For example, he had riches and honour in abundance and according to verse 10, the fear of the Lord fell upon all the, all the kingdoms of the lands that were round about Judah, so that they made no war against Jehoshaphat. 
That is in line with Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 7, where it is written, When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. How are we as Christians to understand that verse? Does it mean that if we prayerfully study the Bible and live out the word of God in born-again lives that are pleasing to our Heavenly Father, that the world will be our friend? Is that really your experience? Not at all. And it certainly wasn't the experience of the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ, most of whom were put to death. Neither has it been the experience of godly Christians throughout church history, and perhaps especially so nowadays. People who are being persecuted, imprisoned and put to death because of their faith in Jesus. Besides, we have all those New Testament verses from Jesus and his apostles that speak of being hated by the world and being blessed when you are insulted, persecuted and even killed for Christ's sake. However, when our ways are pleasing to God, the work of God's law, which is written in everyone's heart, and that includes the hearts of the enemies of Christ, that law is able to accuse our enemies, to restrain them and to make them to be at peace with us. It doesn't always follow that that will happen, but it can happen and God can make it happen according to his good pleasure. You'll know that to be the case if ever you have made a stand for Christ. That doesn't mean that we won't have enemies. It just means that they will, if it is pleasing to God, be at peace with us instead of warring against us or seeking to destroy us as we proclaim and magnify our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Despite everything being very positive in 2 Chronicles chapter 17, look how chapter 18 starts. I'm going to read verses 1 through to 3 in chapter 18. Now Jehoshaphat had riches and honour in abundance and joined affinity with Ahab. And after certain years he went down to Ahab to Samaria. And Ahab killed sheep and oxen for him in abundance, and for the people that he had with him, and persuaded him to go up with him to Ramoth-Gilead. And Ahab king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat king of Judah, Wilt thou go with me to Ramoth-Gilead? And he answered him, I am as thou art, and my people as thy people, and we will be with thee in the war. What we have in those verses is King Jehoshaphat of Judah taking a journey to Israel and being courted by Ahab, who was a particularly evil king. Jehoshaphat entered into an unholy alliance with him to help him take back Ramoth-Gilead from the Syrians. After all that we've considered in chapter, in chapter 17, such as Jehoshaphat strengthening himself against Israel and building up his army, how on earth 
could such a thing have happened? Well, for one thing, King Ahab of Israel married a pagan woman named Jezebel. She was the daughter of the king of the Sidonians, and consequently he served and worshipped the idols of that land. Ahab and Jezebel had a daughter by the name of Atalia, and she married Jehoram, the son of King Jehoshaphat of Judah. So there you have it. I hope you followed all of that. One of the tentacles of pagan idolatry reached Judah through intermarriage with Israel. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 6, the Apostle Paul said, Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Although Christians are in the world, they are nevertheless to keep themselves unspotted from the world. For one thing, that means not entering into marriage alliances with the ungodly. That was the downfall of Judah making marriages with ungodly people and inevitably worshipping their gods. In so doing, they forsook the Lord, who is the fountain of living waters, and they hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. Coming back to that rather unfortunate alliance between Jehoshaphat and Ahab, at least Jehoshaphat still sought the will of God, with regards to going out to fight the Syrians. As it is written in verse 4 of chapter 18, And Jehoshaphat said unto the king of Israel, Inquire, I pray thee, at the word of the Lord today. Consequently, Ahab gathered 400 false prophets, men who tell you what you want to hear, rather than what you need to hear from God. Bearing in mind that Ahab wanted to take back Ramoth-Gilead from the Syrians, in verse 6, those false prophets said to him, Go up, for God will deliver it into the king's hand. And in spectacular style, one of the false prophets, Zedekiah, even made horns of iron, presumably representing the kings of Israel and Judah, and he said, Go up and prosper! There's a very obvious parallel in the church today with false teachers who say what people want to hear of what, uh, rather than what they need to hear. They entertain and they employ various gimmicks like Zedekiah did with his horns of iron. Not only will you find them on the God channels, you'll find them in the churches in our land. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul warned about them. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, he said, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. King Jehoshaphat could see the fakeness of those 400 or so prophets, so he asked Ahab if there was another prophet, in other words, a real prophet. 
There was one, a man called Micaiah. Needless to say that Ahab hated him. A servant was sent to get Micaiah and at first he said precisely the same thing to the two kings as the false prophets. Go ye up and prosper and they shall be delivered into your hand. However, it would seem that those words coming from a true prophet of God just didn't sound convincing. They didn't ring true. And so Ahab said to him in verse 15, How many times shall I adjure thee that thou say nothing but the truth to me in the name of the Lord? The prophet Micaiah, having drawn the ungodly king Ahab to demand the truth, then went on to explain that Ahab would die in the battle whilst his soldiers would be unharmed and they would return to their homes. In verse 16, he said to him, I did see all Israel scattered upon the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let them return, therefore, every man to his house in peace. <clears throat> Furthermore, in verses 18 through to 22, the prophet Micaiah said, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting upon his throne and all the host of heaven standing on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who shall entice Ahab, king of Israel, that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one spake, saying, After this manner, and another saying, After that manner. Then there came out a spirit who stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. And the Lord said unto him, Wherewith? And he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, Thou shalt entice him and thou shalt also prevail. Go out and do even so. Now therefore, behold, the Lord hath put a lying spirit in the mouth of these thy prophets, and the Lord hath spoken evil against thee. What we have in those verses is Satan, who is the father of lies, or one of his demons, putting the lie about King Ahab prospering in the battle into the mouths of those 400 false prophets. That was done in accordance with the permissive will of God, as it was in the book of Job, when Satan went out from before the Lord and afflicted godly Job. Listen to Job. I'm going to read from Job chapter 1, verses 6 through to 12. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord, and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? 
that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made a hedge about him, and about his house, and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power, only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. The ultimate example of evil being perpetrated in accordance with God's permissive will is the passion of the Lord Jesus Christ. Most certainly, Jesus voluntarily laid down his life and as an atonement for sin, but also, as the Apostle Peter said to the Jews who were gathered on the day of Pentecost, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. On that occasion, Wicked men were doing the lusts of their father the devil, and they were doing so in accordance with God's permissive will. Coming back to King Ahab, he heard a lie from his 400 false prophets, and then he heard what he knew to be the truth from Micaiah. He chose to hang on to the optimistic forecast of the false prophets and he went into battle in disguise instead of wearing his royal robe. Presumably, he imagined that his little plan to disguise himself would not only fool the Syrians, but also that it would nullify the word of God. Anyway, Ahab was killed, just as God said through his prophet. As for King Jehoshaphat, when we get to the next chapter, chapter 19 and verse 1, we see that he returned to his house in peace to Jerusalem. When you think about it, clearly the ungodly king Ahab of Israel had no interest in doing God's will and he was killed by an archer in the battle against the Syrians. As for the godly king Jehoshaphat of Judah, even he only paid lip service to the Lord. Admittedly, he had said to Ahab, Is there not here a prophet of the Lord besides that we might inquire of him? But he should never have entered into that godly, ungodly alliance with Ahab in the first place. And when the prophet Micaiah said that the battle would end in failure, he went up to Ramoth Gilead with Ahab anyway. What was all that about? Even so, in verses 31 to 34 of um, 2 Chronicles chapter 18, it says, And it came to pass when the, when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, that they said, 
it is the king of Israel. Therefore they compassed about him to fight. But Jehoshaphat cried out, and the Lord helped him, and God moved them to depart from him. For it came to pass that when the captains of the chariots perceived that it was not the king of Israel, they turned back again from pursuing him. And a certain man drew a bow at a venture and smote the king of Israel between the joints of the harness. Therefore he said to his chariot man, Turn thine hand that thou mayest carry me out of the host, for I am wounded. And the battle increased that day. Howbeit the king of Israel stayed himself up in his chariot against the Syrians until the even, and about the time of the sun going down, he died. Therefore, Jehoshaphat cried out, the Lord heard his cry, and according to the riches of his grace, he saved him. Perhaps you've been there, you've done it yourself, you've got the badge. Inquiring of the Lord, but doing your own thing anyway, knowing full well that what you are doing is wrong. Perhaps with all the even, evil imagination that you can muster on those occasions, you take justifying your wrong actions to the next level, and you do that even as a born-again Christian. May each one of us earnestly seek to be both hearers and doers of God's will as we read his word and as we are directed and prompted by the indwelling Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you have communicated to us so much about yourself in your word, even though you are infinite in all your ways, and you are from everlasting to everlasting. Nevertheless, Lord, you have revealed everything that we need to know in the 66 books of the Bible. We thank you, Lord, that when we open the pages of the scriptures, we can discern your will. We can indeed know the things that you love, the things that you hate, the things that we can do which are pleasing in your sight as your children. And so, Lord, we pray that we would be people who are very sincere and very earnest, serious about doing your will, that we would not be people who read your word, uh, study your word, meditate upon your word, uh, as, and learn what it is that we ought to be doing. And, and also, Lord, that we would pray to you, um, asking for your will to be done, only to do our own thing anyway. Pray that rather we would be people who study your word and pray to you with an earnest desire to do that which is pleasing, not to us, but to you, Lord God. We ask these things that you would receive all glory. Pray that we would not be hypocrites, that we would not mock you, Lord. We pray concerning the situation on this island with regards to the virus, the coronavirus, 
um, the restrictions are being lifted and the government is not at all concerned in doing that which is pleasing in your sight. The government is not interested in committing the lifting of restrictions to you in prayer. The government is not interested in studying the scriptures to see what is pleasing to you. Instead, they just go full steam ahead and do what they believe to be right in their own eyes. Pray, Father, that nevertheless they would um, do your will, that the counsel of the Lord would prevail in the decisions that they make, and to you be the glory. Father, we pray concerning our church uh, for when the green light is given for churches to resume and to hold services again, whenever that may be. We pray that it would be in accordance with your timetable and that you would give us wisdom at appeal to take all necessary precautions and measures to um, minimise the risk of infection. We pray, Father, that in the meantime, whilst we are not able to meet up, that we would be focused upon Jesus, that we would continue to be focused upon him, and that we would seek to do that which is pleasing in his sight, and that we would make full use of what is available to us. For example, the WhatsApp group, the telephone, and now we are able to visit one another within reason, taking all necessary precautions. Pray that uh, with all these things that are available to us, that we would remain united uh, as, uh, as a church. We pray that whether individually or collectively, that we would strip, that we would strive to do that which is pleasing to you, Lord. We pray for people in our church, Ross, who's trying to get a, a local job and we commit his application for work to you and may it go according to your will for him and for your glory. We pray for various members of our church thinking of Sadie at this time and uh, we ask Lord that you would be with her as, as she is now uh, having to cope with a flare-up of uh, asthma, that you would be with her, Lord, and that she would know your presence with her. And may it please you, Lord, to have your hand of healing upon her. And Lord, we pray for various other folk in the church as well. We ask, Lord, that your hand would be upon Helen in her frailty. Pray that you would minister her to her, both physically and most of all spiritually that she too would glorify you as someone who has bowed the knee to Jesus and received him and believed on his name. We pray, Father, for Trevor's mum and dad, Mr and Mrs Hitchin, that you would be with them after many years of being married. They now have to be separated from one another with Mr Hitchin in the nursing home. It must be very um, distressing for them and very frustrating. Pray that there would uh, be a line of communication 
between them that would be made available to them and that they would be able to at least be able to talk to each other frequently and that everything possible would be done to um would be done for Mr Hitchin in the nursing home. Pray that you would intervene there, Lord, and that you would deal with him according to your mercy and your grace. Father, we thank you, Lord, that the Grace Children's Home in India can report that they have no had no cases of coronavirus. We thank you, Lord, and to you be the glory. We pray that your hand would continue to be upon that place. In Jesus' name. Amen.